0: You are better than So with the new year and it being 2020, uh, we're kind of given an opportunity, a once in a lifetime, actually, this is the only time we ever get to use the sermon illustration. So it's a little bit low hanging fruit, but I'm going to use it anyways, uh, because I think it's a useful idea, a useful tool to help us uh, the entire year, uh, it is twenty twenty. To have perfect vision or to have healthy vision is to have twenty twenty vision. We say that twenty uh, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, I would like to have foresight that is twenty twenty. I would like to uh, I would like to live my life uh, with a healthy vision and healthy focus on what's right and good. And the story of the Bible, as I understand it, is helping every single person who would read it and understand it to have a clear and beautiful picture of who God is and what he's done. From the very beginning, at the opening onset of the scriptures, we open it and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's not multiple gods, but it's one God. From the very beginning, the onset of scripture, it has been to tell a story of a God who created the heavens and the earth and who has desired to seek and to save every last one of us from sin and death and to live with us and restore his creation. The story of the Bible is one about reaching out to the lost and the broken and the hurting world and help people see the grand vision of who God is. We've just spent a moment in Scripture hearing that we are called to be humble and even hearing of the humiliation of Christ on the cross. The story of the Bible is filled with perplexities. It is a kaleidoscope of God that this mighty, majestic, incredible God who can create the heavens and the earth in a single moment would reduce himself to humility and death on the cross and being obedient even to the point of death, that he might be exalted, that those who humble themselves would be exalted. Jesus foretells just exactly what he's going to do, and he tells each and every one of us that it's not through power on high that God rules, but it is through his humility, it is through his grace, it's through his love, it is through his mercy. And I'm excited to share with you every moment, every Sunday with you, the story of God's word that tells us that God loves you. That God cares deeply for you. And that God went to the cross to seek and save and redeem and help you see just a little more clearly the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the power and the love of God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you will catch a glimpse of the goodness of God and his grace and his love for you. That in 2020, you would see God clearly, that you might walk faithfully with him every day of your life. Every time you write a check, if you do that, I don't know how to do it anymore. I really don't. I screwed up the other day. Turns out you have to sign it. (laughs) I know. But you write 2020 down. Let it be a reminder, every time you write 2020, I want to see Christ clearly this year. And I have just a very simple, but often very hard question that we all have to face. And that is, do I see God well? Do I see what his will is for my life? Do I see what direction he's leading me? Am I wanting to see him? Do I want to pursue him and walk with him? And I hope every time you write 2020, every time you think of it and say it's 2020, 2020, I just want you to think, am I seeing God? Am I looking for Him? Am I looking for His love? Am I looking for His grace? Am I looking to be that love and grace for others in my life? Will I see Christ clearly in 2020? And the hard question is, is right now, if you keep going in the same direction that you've been going, where will it take you? And where will you end up? I want to stand in the pulpit every Sunday, disrupting that direction away from God. And I hope every week and every moment and every morning you wake up with a heart that's beating for Christ. And that his heart is beating in you. That every step you take, every moment of your life can be a moment filled with grace and mercy and love. That you could help other people see Jesus Christ clearly in their life. What do you think about 2020? What do you want to make it? That's part one. I want to pray now, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't want to go any further without you. And uh, we can do that, certainly. You give us the choice whether or not we want to walk with you, whether or not we want to see you more clearly. And God, we, we come before you repentant. Very sorry that so many times So many times we would want to see so many other things than see you. And so God, we we pray that you would remove the cataracts and the disease of our eyes, that you would restore the sight of the, the blind. That we would see you, that we would walk with you, that we would be faithful with you. That we would pursue obedience in our walk. God, we we don't want to go forward without you, and so we pray that 2020 as a congregation would be a year that we see you better and see your love and see your kindness and help us, God, to see it so that we can also reflect it in our lives and our walk. God, search our hearts and know our anxious thoughts and know the ways that are leading us away from you God, lead us to the way of everlasting life. Lead us to the way of your kingdom. Lead us to the way of your Son Jesus Christ. And God, there are so many things that we try to control. There's so many things that we try to manage and manage without you. Bring those things to our mind and our hearts. Bring those things forward to us. God, how we're trying to live our life without you. God, when we study your words this year, we pray for your help, that we would see your goodness pour out of the pages, that we would see your character, that we would see your loving kindness and your grace and your mercy, that we would see your wrath and your anger towards sin, that we would see a fuller picture of you. And in the overwhelming sense of your mercy and your grace and your love, God, may we be your humble servants we praise you and bring glory to your name. We love you, Lord. Help us to see you with 2020 vision. To see a healthy picture of who you are, that we can share you with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In your, in your Bible, so I'd ask you to turn to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. Now, we need to do a little background work, and we actually have to do a little math. I didn't want to start with math and background work, you know, uh, because that's a surefire way to lose you. Uh, it would lose me. Uh, but we need to do a, a little background work, and it's uh, the idea is uh, something that Hebrews called Jubilee. So the people of God, they, uh, they were to live in the promised land, and it's just on the... Um, east side of the mediterranean sea and the folks when they finally arrived in the promised lands the israelites were to live by the law by torah and it's all outlined in the first five books of the old testament and in one of the books that we often get into when you do the yearly bible reading plan you get into leviticus and when you get into leviticus you start the head bobbing really sets in if you uh if you make it through Leviticus, then it's followed by numbers. You know, it's like if God could go back and rename things, you know, I wish he would have come up with a more exciting title, than numbers. But uh, in Leviticus 25, the Israelites are instructed on something that be, uh, that never really fully gets actualized. They never actually quite get there, but it would be awesome if they would. And what it is, is it's called Jubilee. Now, jubilee is something that occurs every 49 years, and it's celebrated on the 50th year. And the way they calculated it was is that they would have a Sabbath year. Now, a Sabbath day is every seven days. You have six days of work, and the seventh day you rest. Well, a Sabbath year is six years of work in tilling the soil, and then the seventh year is a year of rest for your soil. I think you guys should all start beating on all the doors of all the farmers and say, this year you guys don't have to do any work. They probably would have appreciated it this last year with all the rain that we got. Now there would be a complete rest of the land on the seventh Sabbath year. There would be a rest from work, and God would provide enough. God's promise is, I'll give you enough in the sixth year that you can not only enjoy the seventh year of not working, But when there's no new food the seventh year, I'll make sure that it volunteers enough food for you to be provided for you, so that the eighth year when you're working again, uh, you actually have food. Now, it all works out, and I told you we would talk numbers, and I hope I didn't lose you just yet. Um, But what the whole thing is, is every seven years, there was a Sabbath year. Well, what do you do on the seventh Sabbath year, which is seven times seven, which equals 49. Excellent job, Oliver. We've been working on those. So on the 49th year, there would be a year of jubilee. And if on the Sabbath year there was the resting of the lands, well, what do you do on the 49th year and the 50th year celebration of it? Well, over the course of that span, as a family, you might have fallen on hard times. And your response to falling on hard times might have been to sell your land. And so, what they w- would often do is they would sell their land to someone. Well, on the jubilee year, that land would be restored to the family that lost it. The debts would be uh, the debts would be wiped clean. The land would be uh, the land would be resting, and God would provide abundance for them. Prisoners would be set free. And so there is this sort of grandiose resetting of things. It's a jubilee year. Uh, just by a show of hands, who would appreciate a jubilee? I mean, I'll, okay, five of you. With a little more participation next time. But wouldn't we all sincerely and deeply appreciate the fact that we could just sort of hit reset on everything? Um, I, think, uh, I think that it would be a wonderful... To think that we could be set free from so many of the things that we are indebted to. So much of the brokenness in our hurting world, it would be nice to have things set free. And so, friends, when Jesus walked into a synagogue at the very early stages of his ministry, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he's in the hometown of Naz- his hometown of Nazareth, and this is where... I would like to begin reading. It's in Luke 4:14. 4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. If you ever wonder why I have you stand up for the reading of God's word at the beginning of the service, this is actually why, just an FYI. Anyways, it has nothing to do with what we're doing here today. But anyways, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor is to proclaim jubilee. It is to proclaim that debts are being uh, made right, that people are being set free. To declare the year of the Lord's favor is to stand before all of them and announce that this is the year of jubilee. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. We're going to pause right there just for a moment. There's an awful lot going on with what Jesus just read. It comes from Isaiah 61 and in part from Isaiah 58. Now, what Jesus stands before them and reads is what's called a messianic, a messianic passage. And that's a fancy word to say that it's a hero passage. They were looking for someone to rescue, someone to save them. The Israelites have a long storied history of getting things messed up. The Israelites really had one job, and it was to have one Lord and God, and his name was Yahweh, and to worship him only. That's it. Like, go live in the land, love the Lord. That's all you have to do. And they don't do it. Over and over again, they are battling with where will their hearts, where will their hopes, where will they find their strength, where will they find their comfort, where will they, or when will they finally begin to trust and walk faithfully with God. And they mess it up over and over and over again. I don't know how. I mean, we're perfect. I don't know how they get it all mixed up. Right? we don't ever make mistakes we don't ever get our priorities out of whack we don't ever let other things take rule and reign over our lives but the israelites they do they do over and over again and there would be uh, nations surrounding nations and god he would protect the israelites he would say if you're loving me and everything's working out well you know it's like if you if you keep pursuing me then i will protect you no matter how mighty the nations surrounding you get if you will love me and worship me I will keep you safe. And he does. And he does over and over again. And he shows himself mightier than the mightiest of nations. Showing himself mightier than Egypt. He delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. And he brings them to the promised land. But their hearts will wander. And their hearts wander from God. And they begin pursuing whatever it is around them that would bring them comfort and satisfaction. And they would begin turning their hearts away from God and God would have to send the Assyrians. And God would have to send the Babylonians. And God would eventually send the Romans. And each time the surrounding nation would alter and threaten their way of life. And They would always reach out. Eventually, they would realize, hey, this is really bad. Maybe we should turn back to God. I know, of all the ideas, right? And they would get the clue. And they would start breaking down all the idols that they began to worship and all the things that have been ter- deterring their heart from loving and pursuing Him. And God hears their cries. And they would cry out to God, deliver us. Deliver us, Yahweh, hear our cry and deliver us. Lead us back to you, save us, redeem us, bring us back. And God would always hear their cry. And their cry for help, their cry for hope, their cry for deliverance is a cry for a hero to come and deliver them. And this is Messianic. And the Israelites, in the days of Jesus, they were looking for a hero and they were looking for someone to deliver them. And so they have already begun, even in the early stages of Jesus' ministry, they have been hearing this chatter about this man who is doing miraculous things, who is restoring sight to the blind, who is healing those who are sick, who, are, uh, who is helping and forgiving and caring for people in a way that they expect their hero to do it. And so they come into the synagogue, and they hear Jesus Christ announce that today is the day that the prisoners are set free that today is the day that sight is restored to the blind, that today is the day of the year, a year of the Lord's favor, an announcement of jubilee, an announcement of hope, an announcement that there is a new day and a new dawn of hope for salvation. And every last one of them, everyone in the room, they are all hanging on to every word that comes from Jesus' mouth. And he sits down and he tells them today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And their response is this. They are amazed at his gracious words. They are amazed at the grace that is coming from the lips of Christ. His graciousness, his mercy, his love, I want you to imagine that you were there that day and your life hasn't been going the way that you've wanted it to be and you haven't had the sort of freedom to to love God and pursue him and maybe you have all kinds of problems going on in your life. And here this person who has been helping and healing and doing amazing, miraculous things says, Today, there is hope for you. And it's a new day for you. Jubilee is here. And what happens is the folks who hear it, they begin to say, can you believe how gracious our God is? That he's finally come and he's finally doing something about our plight and our situation. And then Jesus throws a hand grenade at all of it. In totally Jesus style. Because the people start chattering, and they say, wait, how can this be if this if this is Jesus? Isn't that Joseph's boy? Don't we remember him in class? Don't we remember him running around? How could Joseph's son be the Messiah and the hero we've been waiting for? And the doubt begins to creep in, and they start to wonder. And Jesus says these words, and I'm going to read them to you, and they may not make a whole lot of sense to you, but we'll make them make sense here in a moment. In verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what they have heard, what you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town, they took him to the brow of the hill, they took him to the cliff on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff, but He walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. How do you go from being amazed and surprised at the gracious words of Jesus to the point where you're ready to heave him off a cliff? You're either mentally unbalanced or you have something going on. There's a great story. There's a great story in the Bible, the story of Jonah. Jonah was given a task. Go and preach to Nineveh. Just an FYI, that would be go and preach in modern-day Baghdad. So before you give Jonah a hard time, are you willing? I'm not. I'm good right here in that degree. Instead of going to Nineveh, it's, the story tells us he goes to Tarshish. Now Jonah goes to Tarshish, and you may not know this, but Tarshish is modern-day uh, Istanbul, or uh, the Straits of Gibraltar, where if you get to the Straits of Gibraltar, then what's left for you is ocean. In the ancient world, if you made it to Tarshish, you made it to the, uh, you made it to the ends of the earth. You you made it to where all your hopes and dreams could be fulfilled. And Jonah's on the run, and we always say Jonah's on the run from God. But why does Jonah run? And Thankfully, the story tells us. You know how it goes, I suppose, that Jonah is running from God and he gets thrown from the boat and then the large fish catches him and then he vomits him onto the ground. I mean, it'd be really a fun story to really, you know, give more than, a, you know, give a little more graphic depiction of what it looks like to be hurled. But, um uh, It was an unexpected turn. I don't know why we went there. But he goes back and he preaches to Nineveh. And he's the most reluctant minister to ever go into any city or town to go and preach what he's been told to do. But he goes and he preaches and he says, repent or you will be destroyed. And he shares the message And what do the Ninevites do? But they repent. And they avoid destruction. And you would think that the preacher would be happy that there was success, that people actually listened to his sermon that day. Instead, he cries out to God. He cries out to God and he says, See, I knew that this would happen. And that you would be compassionate. Compassionate and that you would be merciful and people would be saved. When Jesus stands in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he announces that there's hope and salvation, and there is new life for those who would turn to God, he follows it with this funny phrase, and talking about Elisha and Elijah and where they go and where they minister. And what they do is is they go to people, not the Israelites, they go to the world. They go to Gentiles. They go to people like you and me who don't have a, who don't know about God. And he shares mercy and grace with them. And they respond to it. And what the Israelites are upset about and why they drag Jesus out of town and why they're ready to heave him off a cliff is because they are surprised by his grace, not for them, but surprised by his grace for everyone who are far away from God. They want it only for themselves and they don't want it for a watching and hurting world and wondering, when do we get hope? A long look in the mirror would reveal a Jonah-like heart of myself and a Nazareth mob all the same. In all of this, I would hope that in the walk of my life and in the walk of your life, you would learn and discover the goodness of God's grace. And you would know that Jesus came to bring it for you and to give you hope and salvation and new life. The Jubilee is for you. And Jubilee is for your neighbor. Jubilee is for everyone. No matter where they come from or what their story is. God's grace is for you. And so I want to be one in 2020 who sees God a little more clearly. And one of those things and one of those cataracts in my eyes is that God's grace and mercy are only for people who deserve it. God's grace is only for those people who look like me and act like me and are as cool as me. You guys laugh, but I know you You know what I mean. And all I can really ask is for yourself to look and say, is there someone in your life who you think doesn't deserve the grace of God? it's a hard reality. And I know it's... We don't always like how we look. We don't always know what direction we're going. But the story reminds us that Jesus has the power to power through the mob. And keep going and keep ministering and keep loving people. Despite our not getting it, God still is patient. And he's patient with each and every one of us. And he wants us to see him clearly that we would walk with him today. That we would see him more clearly and see his love for others and let each and every one of us know today that we can be loved and forgiven and we can give that hope to others. I stand before you totally not perfect in any regard in this. But I know together we can walk forward and say, is this someone who needs Jesus? Is this someone who needs love and, pre- and the presence of God and encouragement and love and forgiveness? Is this a person who needs Jubilee? There's this exciting moment at the beginning of the church. It's the day of Pentecost. And it's the day that the church begins and the spirit falls on the people of God. And suddenly they start sharing and suddenly they start forgiving and suddenly they start caring for one another in a way that they're finally called to do it. If I could pray for anything in 2020, it would be that we would have that bittersweet feeling of knowing that we've turned away from an old life and walking in a new life that we would know that we are God's children and loved and favored and cared for by him, that we can love and care for each other. Will you see Christ clearly in 2020? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for, again, for our blinders. We pray for the ways in which we've missed seeing your grace for every situation. God, we want hearts that beat for you. We want hearts that are filled with your spirit and your presence. God, we don't want to lose the excitement of a new year and not take a moment to reflect on you and your goodness. God, help us to see you well and see you clearly. That we would help others see you clearly. Not see our sin, but see your forgiveness. Not see our pride, but see our humility. Not see our arrogance and our control, but see that we fully trust in you and we walk with you. God, your your faithful servant, John the Baptist, so wonderfully said what we all need. That he may decrease and that Jesus Christ might increase. God, this is our cry, this is our prayer today, that you would be our hero, that you would break down the walls of hostility and anger, that you would break down the walls of sin and death, you would lead us into the kingdom of life. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, it's in Jesus' name, amen. I was... Um, in my newsfeed, however, it popped up this week, there was a story of a woman who every day for a year saw a dog chained up and uh, didn't have adequate food or shelter or water. Every day for a year she would come and she would give the dog a little bit of food and a little bit of water and pet it. She named it, <laughs> you know, just made something up, I guess. I don't well, it finally came to the point where the The dog was seen, the the owner was seen as unfit, and the dog was up for adoption. And the lady was pounced all over the opportunity to make the dog her own, and she adopted it. I don't know what it is about the story, and maybe it doesn't resonate with you. I got a dog now, so I'm more sentimental about these stories. But the elation on the woman when she finally got what she loved and she cherished and treasured. I imagine is the elation when we finally let go of all the shackles and all the things that have imprisoned us and that we finally embrace that we're adopted children of God. You belong to him. And he loves you and he cares for you deeply. That's the story of the Bible. And I hope every day we can see God in a new way. And see the glory, glorious majesty of our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ, our Lord, and know his spirit is with us. May you please stand and sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back.